1: This is Sarah with Birth Circle, and today I have Ashley Jensen, and Ashley is a certified certified nurse midwife that works at the University of Utah, and today we're going to be talking about restorative reproductive medicine, mm-hmm. so that's fertility, some really cool fertility stuff. So
0: Yeah, fertility, women's health, um, restorative reproductive medicine is kind of like the umbrella term for the group of physicians and healthcare providers that- you know, work in the field that I do. So, you know, we do a lot of infertility work at the university. We, it's probably like 70% of what we do. Um, but we do a lot of other like women's health, gynecological management. And the big thing with that is like we don't use birth control, which is really unique in in our approach. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to dive right in and ask you
1: a ton of questions. I mean, we, so I just got pregnant with my babies. I did have a one miscarriage at the very beginning, but I just got pregnant. I never even thought about the hormones surrounding fertility mm-hmm. because I just took it for granted. Mm-hmm. But um, they say try for a year and then seek fertility treatment. So it mm-hmm. star, stars out, what is, what is like the basis? What do you, what do you think is the biggest cause for infertility?
0: Um. So, I mean, I probably like what we see most often, probably for causes of infertility at the university um, would be, women aren't actually ovulating or aren't aren't ovulating well. Can can you have have your period and still not ovulate? Yeah, absolutely. You can have regular cycles every 30 days, every 28 days, whatever. And you have something going on in your ovary, some sort of ovulatory event that is triggering the necessary hormones to keep things regular but not actually be having a really mature egg, a healthy egg um, with good hormones, good post-ovulatory hormones and all those things happening properly every month. Um, So we see that a lot where, you know, uh, the egg matures in what's what's called a follicle. And that's what we actually see on Mm -hmm. ultrasound is a follicle. And we want it to be around like at least greater than 19 millimeters. And so that would be, okay, this is healthy. It's 19 to 20 millimeters. So a lot of times that that would be like the first thing we see is that it's not getting up to that size, that it's not actually fully ovulating so we track that as well. And so, you know, the egg maybe isn't being fully released. Is that how people end up with cysts? Um, yeah, yeah, that can be like polycystic ovarian syndrome is a little bit different. And then when women get over like ovarian cysts, you know, that are the really painful, put you in the ER, that's a little bit different too, but, um, it could be definitely related. But to that. basically like these
1: little, little eggs, these little follicles aren't developing properly. So right. they're kind of shooting blanks.
0: Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So immature
1: egg and then an right. immature egg can't be fertilized. It can travel down everything, but it just won't be
0: fertilized. Or it can't even be fertilized. And that's something we often see and maybe even miscarriages is that, um, a woman's having a regular cycle. She's like, well why are we doing ultrasounds to look at ovulation? I'm ovulating. I get pregnant. That's not my problem. It's like, oh, that might actually be the issue is that you have an immature egg that's being fertilized. It's not a healthy egg. It's not getting to the immature size. Oh my goodness. So that can, you know, it can start even there. So that's, you know, even when we see women for miscarriages, repeat miscarriages or whatever it might be, that sometimes can be the issue is that it's not actually getting to that fully mature size. So that's something we really want to make sure is that it's getting to the good size, has good hormones with it. So that would be, I would say that's a good portion of of things that we see is that, you know, that, that follicle isn't getting to a good size. Um, the other really common thing is that the hormone progesterone that is produced after ovulation, um, is oftentimes insufficient. So then it's not going to be able to support the lining of the uterus for implantation, Mm. um, or sustaining a pregnancy. So it might end in an early miscarriage or something like that because that lining isn't isn't sufficient with the progesterone. So the first thing you do with
1: the egg not developing properly is what hormone would you give or how could you help that?
0: Yeah. So that would be with like ovulation induction medications like Clomid or Letrozole. Um, Or, I mean, there are some other ones like injectable medications, but the common ones would be Clomid or Letrozole, which... um, you know, kind of, kind of doesn't seem super obvious cause you're like, well, you are ovulating, but we really want it to be healthy. Mm. So we want to, we want to kind of stimulate that follicle a little more. So we do, you know, we would start it out really low cause obviously you don't need, you are ovulating. So you're, we're not starting from scratch. So it just, yeah, I was going to say, so, so the Clomid just helps the
1: egg develop. And what, what causes the low, what hormone are you low in if your eggs are not developing properly?
0: Oftentimes it's the, well, there's the whole menstrual cycle is a little bit complicated. Um, it would take quite a while to like explain like the whole thing. That would be like a whole podcast all on its own. Bring it on. Just <laughs> we could. I am yeah. fascinated <laughs> with the menstrual I just, cycle. I just prepared I just prepared a, a talk for um later this week that's on the whole anatomy of physiology. So it's it's like wow. 20 slides all of its own. Um, but it's it could be it could be that you, you know, if women that are older are gonna have high FSH levels or higher FSH levels, we see that often in women that are over 35, over 40, somewhere in that age group, sometimes that FSH level is high. And so sometimes that can be a cause where, you know, it's like the body's running out of eggs more or less. So it's not that your eggs are zero. It's just that there's not as many to respond. And so it's like, okay, I need to increase this level because oh. I need to recruit more eggs. And so sometimes if that level's is high, um, then that can cause a, a follicle to not be quite interesting. as mature. Okay. I've- oh,
1: interesting. Okay. I've... <laughs> Weird question then. I always wondered, so you're born with this, e- a bunch of little eggs mm-hmm. that are immature, right? Mm-hmm. How does your body decide who's going to volunteer that <laughs> month and yeah. come forward?
0: Yeah, yeah, So you're, yeah, you are born with that, that predestined amount, amount of eggs. And once they're, once they're gone, then that's when a woman's in menopause for sure. So um, each month, so then the brain, the brain says okay, I'm going to, you know, you need to make this FSH. So that's where it starts. You make this FSH and then it says, okay, I need to recruit a couple follicles. It usually recruits a few. FSH so is follicles. Stimulating, stimulating hormone. hormone. Yep. Okay. You got it. Yep. So recruits a few of them. So <laughs> I love the word recruit. <laughs> guys, guys, who wants to be it this yep, month? Yep. <laughs> okay. so recru- recruits like, you know, two or three, maybe, maybe more depending. Okay. And then as those follicles get larger, then they start producing estrogen. And then one becomes the dominant one. It's like the largest, and so it puts out more estrogen than the rest. And because those estrogen levels are high, then this then it tells the brain, okay, we got a Ready? winner, we got Ooh. a winner. So then it decreases the FSH. So all those not dominant hormones kind of die. All those non-dominant follicles, sorry, kind of die out. And then you have you're left with that one dominant one. That's that kind of told the brain to shut off the FSH. So then it's uh, producing all the estrogen. How does anybody get birthed? We're we're just at the follicle (laughs) part. How does anybody survive pregnancy? Right, right, yeah, yeah. I mean, how does anybody ever get? Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, it is so complicated. the The whole menstrual cycle, and so few women understand it, and it's really kind of a shame because it's amazing yeah. what happens like every 30 days or, you know, however long a menstrual cycle is. And we kind of just take it for granted that this is all happening and we assume it's all happening correctly and maybe it's not.
1: And, and what do you think about, um, this kind of off topic a little bit, but what do you think about the hormones and when people say, oh, she's so pms is it normal to be a pms or is something going wrong that if you're feeling like your hormones question. are driving your That's a great brain? question.
0: So one of the things that we say a lot in, in my work is that while things may be common. That does not mean that they're normal. Yeah, in terms of this is all right. This is okay. So PMS is one of those things while there it is normal for women to maybe experience some symptoms one or two days prior to their period starting, when women experience these symptoms four or five, six days prior when they're severe, when they're debilitating, when you know, you can't function, yeah, that is not normal. And that often what we find actually, so we deal with PMS actually, I would say we we see it more as like a byproduct. They're coming in for something else and then we ask them questions about PMS and then we're like, oh, actually, once we start correcting the underlying hormone issues, they actually notice those symptoms actually go away. So, you know, women were like, oh, yeah, I have, you know, these symptoms four or five days before my period starts. I get really angry. I'm really moody. And their husband's like sitting there. Yep. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I get really hungry. What's the hunger? Yeah. Like
1: insatiable. Yeah. Or like hunger.
0: craving carbs or just, I just
1: – driveway, I'll eat. I know that's pica <laughs> when you're pregnant. But I, like, seriously, two days before
0: my period comes, I get so hungry. Hmm. What What is that? I just did read something about this. This is not really necessarily what I do, but I was reading how, like, your body – Needs carbs to do hormones, like to process hormones. So it was like, oh, it's actually a good thing with your craving. So I don't know. Oh, like, interesting. So I'm not is your I body. Know. I always figured it was something hormonal that my body needed something. Yeah, but no. What we see actually is that when when women have severe PMS, that's like the, you know, really hard to function with life. It's very obvious. Everyone in your family sees it or people that are close to you notice it, that we see that it, it can often be related to low progesterone or, and, or low estrogen in that post-ovulatory phase. So that, you know, those low hormones could be because you're not ovulating well, or it could just be that, um, they're not being supported properly, which we haven't really kind of got into that yet, but, um, in the post-ovulatory phase that, you know, those hormones are need to be made. So if everything's running well, you're
1: It's normal to feel changes throughout the month, but not that like break your brain. Right, right,
0: right. right. Yep. So that would not be normal. While it might be common and women Mm -hmm. say, oh, it's PMS. Yep. You just have PMS. It's not, it's not normal. And often it is a sign of those underlying, underlying low hormone issues. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So once the egg then is,
1: or the follicle is ready, then it releases into the fallopian tube. Well, it actually just gets released
0: kind of out into space. How does it do that? <laughs> and then the fallopian tube like oh, sucks it, it in. How, does it ever get lost in your like I, abdominal I cavity? I always think that too. Oh my gosh. I just don't understand <laughs> it's anatomy. It's like miraculous. It's seriously that anybody is able to conceive. That's what I'm saying. Carry pregnancy. It is a miracle. It truly is a miracle. Yeah. There's so much that has to go on like every month. Yeah, And it does it every month. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Or it should. And most <laughs> women, those those um ten to twelve percent of women struggling with infertility are sitting there and be like, not me. It's not working right in me. So, and I heard that um you have to you have
1: to basically have sex the day before you ovulate because the little swimmers have to be up in there. Or yeah, does that so? Yes and no. Well, actually, so another
0: question is how do ovulation kits work? Like how do you know when you're actually ovulating and how do you time intercourse? So when that follicle gets that large size and it's like has a burst of estrogen, right? That's what we were talking about earlier. And it says, all right, I am the one. I am the one mature one. I I have this huge burst of estrogen. That tells the brain we're ready. So then the brain says, okay, we need a luteinizing hormone now, which is also called LH. So that's what those ovulation predictor kits, ovulation test strips, that's what they're testing for, this LH hormone. Oh, uh, okay. So then the brain says, okay, we're ready. Here's the LH. So you have this really rapid surge in this LH that's produced for just a very short time. And then that tells the follicle to release the egg. So you have all these hormones that are necessary. So the estrogen rises and then the LH So rises. how long is the LH high? So the LH usually... It depends. So typically usually only for about a day. So usually you check your LH in the morning. That's usually the best time to check for, an, you know, pregnancy tests or LH test strips. So you check in the morning if it's positive. That means you're going to ovulate in the next 12 to 24 hours.
1: Okay. So if the so LH is positive, window. you
0: haven't ovulated yet. Right. You haven't ovulated Oh, yet. so you do have time to catch it. You do have time. Okay. Yes. You do have time with the LH. So then that's when you ovulate. Now what we do a lot with um, restorative reproductive medicine, specifically what we do at the university. um, We use what's called natural procreative technologies or NAPRO. And as a basis of that, we have patients monitor their cervical mucus, which studies have shown can be a really good surrogate marker for ovulation. So, We sometimes have patients do LH test strips, but what's really more important is are they having cervical mucus? Because cervical mucus is essential for sperm survival, travel, all of those things. So if you have an LH surge, but you have no mucus that day, that's actually less important than maybe two days before that you had a really good mucus. Sperm can live up to five days if there's good cervical mucus. Interesting. So you have this like five to six day window possibly if you have gut cervical mucus. But actually what we see a lot with infertility is that the cervical mucus is actually usually pretty limited. I would say that's pretty common for infertility. And what causes that? So sometimes it's not good hormones. Sometimes it's just a part of their infertility. Sometimes we never really quite figure out like, okay, why is the cervical mucus not, you know, not great? They're ovulating, but their cervical mucus is abysmal. So can you like augment that? Yeah. 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 We have some supplements. So Vitamin B6 can be used, but it's like high doses of vitamin B6. So that can be helpful. Mucinex actually, surprisingly. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> I know. People are like, wait, I thought mucinex like stopped mucus. I know. That's- it actually thins mucus. So it's oh. like thinning out the mucus in your body. So, you know, it thins out the mucus in your chest. You're allowed, you know, you're able to cough it up. So it actually thins the mucus in the rest of your body as well. Well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, It doesn't work for everybody, but some people, you know, has really good success. And then if those two don't work, you usually start there. But if those aren't, you know, really doing what we want, you know, then we can also do um, like a penicillin or ampicillin antibiotic. And that helps? Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever heard like, you know, when you're on birth control, you shouldn't take antibiotics. Antibiotics reduces the effectiveness of birth control. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Oh, no, I hadn't heard that, but now I have. (laughs) Now you have. Um, Yeah, actually, that's how my mom got pregnant with... Really? My, my brother, I think. Like, I am so amused on her right honeymoon. now. I think it was like on her honeymoon or something. Like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the reason why it reduces the effectiveness is the one of the ways birth control prevents pregnancy is it thickens the cervical mucus. So then it p- provides that barrier so sperm can't get in there. And that's one of the ways. There's several different ways that it prevents pregnancy, but that's one of the ways. So then the antibiotics will thin out the mucus or produce oh, more man. mucus, either either one. And so then, um, so that's the way we use it is we use it just to provide more cervical mucus and it works really well. And we only do it for like half the cycle. So you start at the beginning and you just do it until ovulation. You don't do it every day. Although a lot of women, we try other things first because a lot of women don't yeah. want to be on antibiotics no, every cycle. Not, I was guessing to mess up your gut <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, oh, so I'm a really
1: good probiotic. <laughs> what about um, like KY jelly or any of like the,
0: do those help or hinder? KY jelly would not be a good one. Um, a lot of KY jellies like have some sort of spermicidal agent in them, maybe not all of them, but on they're... purpose or just that's, that's the way they are. Um, I think some of them are on purpose, but some of them I know, I know do like inhibit or yeah, inhibit sperm. So if you're trying um, to conceive, the best thing is just to
1: use your natural. Fluids. Natural
0: is always best, but mm-hmm. for some couples that is a problem. Right, that's, so I was curious. there was a study, um, I work with a doc, um, Dr. Joseph Stanford at the university and there was a study he always tells patients that was comparing all these different, um, lubricants to like natural lubricants and, you know, all these different things that, you know, and what they actually found is the best is, um, vegetable oil, which, no yeah, kidding. which a lot of people are like, well, I use coconut oil. Unfortunately, the study didn't look at coconut oil, which I feel really bad about because I know in like the midwifery world, we love coconut oil. Yeah, like, we do. Okay. this, these people need to redo it with coconut oil too. <laughs> um, but pre-seed was actually pretty good because pre-seed is kind of like marketed as, you know, giving nutrients to the sperm and you know, huh. helping the sperm out, feeding the sperm or something like that. I'm not really sure if it does that. I'm just thinking of but potting soil. This, <laughs> all these words are making me feel like. Pre-seed, yeah. But it doesn't, pre-seed didn't seem to have like too much of a negative effect, but um, vegetable oil had no negative effect on sperm. Really? So, That's really fascinating. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Huh. But more time for couples so they can have their natural lubricant is usually what we recommend the most. Wow. Okay, but sometimes the,
1: the, the lubricant is great on the day that there's no ovulation. So then you have just. This. Right, right, right. But, yeah. if, but the sperm can hang out if you've got that window.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you have, well, so, and, and your natural lubricant is different than cervical mucus. So your cervical mucus is what is going to actually allow the sperm to survive oh. and penetrate. So your natural lubricant is actually just produced on the outside. um, you have the Bartholin glands we're getting really into anatomy yeah, here <laughs> bring it on <laughs> so it's produced um and it's a, there's two Bartholin there's one Bartholin gland on each side of the opening of the vagina and that's where the that fluid that a woman creates that's where it's created from so it's actually externally and mm. then at the bottom of the uterus is the cervix mm-hmm. so that's the kind of hole opening for the you know to get into the uterus and um that cervical mucus is created when a woman is creating est- making estrogen so you typically in a normal woman, she wants, you know, once that estrogen starts to rise and that follicle is developing, that's when she starts creating cervical mucus. Those are the best days to have intercourse because that's when the sperm is going to be able to survive. So it could take the, so sperm can, can get up into the fallopian tube and where it needs to be to wait for the egg in as quick as five to 20 minutes, but it could also take. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I so, thought it was like a day. So it, some can make it up there quicker, like but five like to 20 minutes. Five minutes. And could those are some studies, serious swimmers? Studies have found though, that that could be as quick as five to twenty <gasps> minutes. But the, what they actually found is that the the sperm that take a longer route and kind of like hang out and you know in the cervix with the cervical mucus actually are better sperm for actually conception. I just read this article about this. So um, <laughs> now you can control any of this. No, you have no control, <laughs> none. But um so then so then some. Can take several days to get up into the uterus, so that's why I mean you can as long as you're having cervical mucus, then those are good days for intercourse, for conception purposes. If in the presence of good cervical mucus, those sperm can live up to five days. So, and yeah. the cervical mucus is produced at the cervix, or is it coming from the uterus? Yeah, yeah. From- Well, so so you have the u- you have the uterus, um, trying to figure out what it'd be shaped like a pear, an upside kind of, yeah pear. yeah kind of like a yeah upside down pear. That's a good yeah, and then the, the cervix is a part of the uterus. So, you know, kind of have this like tunneling down. And so actually when you look at the cervix, you know, through the vagina, it kind of looks like a donut hole mm-hmm. or like, like a donut. Cause it's got like the hole in the middle of it. So uh-huh. it just looks like this donut. Like a really happy bagel. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Although it's a lot smaller. So it's, you know, that big. um, bagel bites, bagel bites. Yeah. Bagel bite. That's a good size. <laughs> You're good. You're good for visualizing for your, um, Podcast listeners. <laughs> I just have kids, so <laughs> bagel <old> bites <laughs> are a serious thing. <laughs> yeah, bagel bites. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, roughly about the size. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in inside the cervix, so that you got this the, the hole, which we call the cervical os. Inside there you've got, you know, maybe an inch or two, two inches ish, that you have what you call the cervical crips. And that's kind of like the the cervical canal opening up into the uterus. And then those cervical crypts are actually what are producing the cervical mucus. So they're produced inside the cervix and then when it's created, it comes out of the cervix and then women can observe it at that, you know, external vulva. So that when they wipe with toilet tissue or something like that, so you don't have to, you know, if you're wanting to monitor your cervical mucus, you don't have to do internal examinations or anything like that. You can just wipe with toilet tissue and be able to observe it. Interesting. I thought I knew everything, but
1: apparently (laughs) I know very little. (laughs) Yeah. There's what women's health is very broad. (laughs) Very, very broad. Yeah. So how is your approach to fertility more natural than what other people do? I guess Paint us two pictures. What's the most okay. unnatural sure. fertility treatment <laughs> sure, versus sure.
0: natural? So that's that's it's a little bit of a bad question. So I would say if you want to say the most unnatural route would probably be IVF mm-hmm. because you're not having intercourse to have a baby for a right. while, um, but also you're taking, you know, you have hundreds of injections over a cycle. And what are they doing with those injections? I really don't know a lot about IVF. Oh, That's okay. not my specialty.
1: <laughs> because with IVF, they can kind of force your period and your ovulation anytime they want, right?
0: They, yeah, they can. Yeah, actually, I just had a patient come to me, um, and she had done IVF, and she's. I had asked if she'd ever done birth control. She's like, "Oh, well, yeah, right before I start any IVF cycle, I'm on birth control," which just kind of, I don't really quite get. Yeah,
1: they told my sister to do that too. To, I really don't uh, birth
0: control to help with fertility, and she's like, IVF is pray not. Tell. Yeah, IVF is <laughs> not my not my world, so I don't really know much about uh-huh. it. But, um. IVF is also just very, you know, one of the things that we see in the NAPRO world and the restorative reproductive world is that, you know, when a woman or when a couple is having infertility, they, you know, it's infertility, first of all, is not a diagnosis. It's a symptom of something else going on, mm-hmm. but that's not really how it's viewed in our our modern world, right? Mm. So it's an underlying issue, typically a chronic issue that's been going on for some time it's something that, you know, they didn't know about because they weren't trying to get pregnant. So they did not know like how many years has this has been going on. If it's endometriosis, PCOS, whatever the issue is, they didn't know it's been going on, but it has been. It's usually a chronic issue. And so, but then they're trying to get pregnant. Usually by the time they, you know, go see a fertility specialist, it's been a year. So they're like, mm-hmm. I wanted to get pregnant a year ago. So they're very much like, please get me pregnant now. Now. So IVF and artificial reproductive technologies is is appealing to couples because it's, you know, kind of trying to shortcut any problems, right? Ah, So they're like, well, we can just make this embryo and plant this embryo and you can get pregnant. But it's not addressing any of the underlying issues that are going on, any of the chronic problems. So even though a woman might get pregnant, she still doesn't know what her problem was and she doesn't really feel any better. So say, for example, those PMS symptoms, we identify that all the time and we address those issues and women feel so much better after our treatments. So Got it. then kind of like our approach is that. Infertility is a chronic issue, like I was saying. It's probably something that's been going on for a long time. We identify those underlying issues, and we try to treat those underlying issues. So while, you know— the, the Like, unib- how do you treat them? I know
1: right. IVF, that route, it's lots right. of injections, right, lots right. of bruising, lots yeah. of badge of honors. What does
0: <laughs> what treating look like for you? Right. So um, we do use, like I said, like ovulation-induction medications like Clomid and Letrozole, which, mm-hmm. you know, are used in, in other, other There's routes some of fertility. overlap. Yeah, there mm-hmm. is, definitely— But when we are using hormones, we're using, um, human identical hormones. So hormones that are exactly like what your body makes. So we never use birth control for anything, for any condition whatsoever, because Mm -hmm. those are not real hormones. They're artificial hormones. Um, and then we also, you know, when we are doing ovulation induction medications, we are, um, we're trying to simulate a normal cycle. So a lot of times when you do like intrauterine insemination, it's like super ovulation. So they want like or five mature follicles or mature eggs more, more or less before they, you know, try that IUI cycle. Uh, and that, and that's what interuterine, interuterine so kind of- insemination. So that's where they like take the sperm and then just like push it up into the uterus, like bypassing all of that. So again, it's not through natural intercourse. So they're just, Using, like, a syringe and squirting the semen into the uterus. Okay, I th- I've heard it as turkey-based or messed. turkey paste. Remaster- yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah, okay yeah, got that it. That too, yeah. <laughs> um, but a lot of times with that, when women do that, it's super ovulation. So they're trying to get multiple follicles, trying to get you the best chance for, you know, pregnancy. Well, that has pretty low success rate anyway. anyway um, when we I don't do- understand how that would be more helpful than just... So, and they're I mean, you don't have to worry about cervical mucus because you're just bypassing oh, all of I that. see because they're going right up into the uterus. So they yeah, they're just that like doesn't trying sound to. uncomfortable, well, my goodness, it's <laughs> not like too bad, but it just it's also like it's not natural, and, yeah, okay, um you're you know you're 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 having multiple follicles mature. and again, you're really not addressing the why, yeah. So then when we do it, you know, when we're helping women, when we have to use ovulation induction medications, we try to get one mature fall goal. Sometimes, you, you know, two is okay. But the other thing, you know, is that we don't want multiples. We don't want to have twins, triplets, because those are higher risk pregnancies. Yeah. So we really just want one because we want one pregnancy, mm-hmm. one baby. So sometimes you really can't get just one. Like you try, you're like, okay, well, we got this dose we got three, and this dose we got none. And you're like, okay, well, it's, try to, okay, now we got two. That's all we can get. That's, you know, we can't get any less than that without it not working. So sometimes two yeah. is okay. And, and there is kind of that argument that women with infertility have a lower rate of conception already, right? Because they're infertile. So the chance of multiples is probably less anyways. So it's okay to have, you know, multiple follicles, but um, I really, you know, really beyond two is just not great. So, yeah. you know, we, we really don't go beyond two and you have a risk of, you know, hyper stimulating your ovaries, which is a whole other like sickness that, you know, can be really serious and be hospitalized. So, you know, we don't, really? we don't do that, yeah. So wow. we've never seen that in our office. I just asked Dr. Stanford, cause he's been there for years. I'm like, have you ever seen this? He's like, I had one really, really, really mild case. So, and the patient, you know, felt really uncomfortable, but she was fine. She wasn't gonna have to be hospitalized. But I think that I read somewhere that like can.
1: Can your body just overstimulate its own ovaries? Um, Well. That, like early menopause?
0: No, I mean, polycystic ovarian syndrome is kind of that way in a way, because it's got a lot although that's a little bit different issue. But there's no risk of ovarian hyperstimulation without medication. Ovarian hyperstimulation oh, comes okay. from medicated cycles. I was cycles. just wondering if that's another disease that I've never <laughs> no, no, heard no. of. <laughs> no, that's only with medicated cycles, yeah. Okay. So when you're inducing ovulation, using these medications. So, um, but yeah, so we, you know, try to just use, you know, try to just have one or two follicles. And then they have natural intercourse. So it's timed with their cycles. We know when they're ovulating, We, you know, where they're monitoring their cervical mucus. So they know what's going on. And so then they just have natural intercourse. So it's not bypassing any of the natural And products. Are these like pills that you're giving them? That yeah, like the clomid or letrozole would be pills. pills? Um, we can give, you know, there are some like injectable medications, but they're used less often. Um, Sometimes, you know, and this is common in the artificial reproductive technology world as well, is you can trigger ovulation. So sometimes that LH surge doesn't happen in a woman. So the estrogen gets high enough, but then it just never triggers the LH. So then that egg is never released. Mm. So you can trigger ovulation with um, hormones. So we can't give LH because they've never been able to make it. But you can give HCG, which is the pregnancy hormone. Uh, but it's super, super like some it's like one amino acid different than LH, so you can so get like it almost tricks your body. It into does. Something. It tricks, yeah, it tricks your body into that. So oh. you can do that, and then that will cause the the egg to be mature or the to, egg to be released. Interesting.
1: Yeah. My goodness, <laughs> this is so fascinating. Like brain dump. <laughs> yeah. No. No. It's it's fascinating. Yeah. So what is um what is the success rate then with these? Oh. Oh. Actually, I was going to ask you before that. What about like nutrition or any supplements? Yeah. Are there any like over-the-counter supplements that you just recommend?
0: Um, I mean, obviously prenatal vitamin for every for every reproductive woman. Um, all the time, even when they're not pregnant. Any woman in reproductive age should be taking prenatal vitamin mm. because the chance of pregnancy is yeah. possible. And so, if there's pregnancy, we want to make sure they have folic acid. So, if you want to just take a folic acid, that's great too. But you might as well get all the other vitamins. Yeah. But like, is there medicine. any any amazing food or um any. So you know. we deal with diet a lot. So when we see a patient for the first time at the university, we have them do a seven day diet record, for the both, both couple at uh, the male and the female. So both, both couples. And then we review it with them and we kind of say, all right, what, you know, what can we work on here? Because nutrition is so much a part of fertility. We know, I mean, studies have shown that, um, men that have more sugar in their diet have lower sperm counts. Really? Yeah. So that can affect things a lot. Um, in in women, women who eat less fruits and vegetables have lower chances of pregnancy. So we're always trying to like support that those healthy lifestyle choices. What about any of
1: the strong diets like um, keto or um, vegan or like any of the really strict diets, do those
0: have? I would say the biggest thing that we recommend would be like low carb, low sugar, because those have like, they're probably, well, the worst for our health, yeah. Carbs and sugar. We don't usually say like zero carbs, like keto is like basically zero. Well, cause we're I like, heard that
1: keto can mess with your reproductive hormones. Yeah.
0: And we don't, I don't usually recommend keto. Usually it's just like low carb, low lower sugar. So carb. yeah, we just, give them like, you mm-hmm. know, like the average Western diet is like 300 grams of carbs per day. Third. So we're like, Hey, can you like, you know, target for like a hundred grams of carbs per yeah, day? Yeah. So there you like, go. You know, keto would be like 15 grams of carbs. Right, so there's exactly. like those extremes. So we try to, you know, kind of get into the, you know, something that's, reasonable that you know a patient can sustain in a lifestyle but that yeah, is not so going to be detrimental
1: to their health. Low carb but both for the man and the woman helps yeah, with fertility. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And, and low sugar yeah
1: so. But if my hormones are messed up and I'm eating nothing but donuts for half my cycle <laughs> yeah. it's like a vicious cycle. Yeah I mean, and I know
0: studies have shown like couple like women that are able to lose like 10 pounds that that significantly increases their risk of pregnancy so. Oh so, yeah I mean, I've heard is, that. There is So when the doctor thing. says just lose weight and you'll
1: get, you'll get pregnant. Yeah.
0: There's some science there is, behind it, but it's is not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is definitely some truth. It's and not the weight that's preventing it. It's probably the insulin resistance that's right. preventing yep. it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's that's a really big one. So, and that's what we see a lot with PCOS. Is that women with polycystic ovarian syndrome? It's you know, it's called polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, so you would think that the most important thing is like, oh, you have all these cysts on your ovary, but it's actually like the least important part of the syndrome. And some women don't even have the cysts on their ovaries, but they have other characteristics that, okay, Mm -hmm. this is definitely PCOS. And they've actually just taken, so it used to be back when it was first discovered that was like, oh, this is women have all these cysts in their ovaries. So this is the most important thing, but that's kind of not, not really like part of the diagnostic criteria anymore. So it doesn't even, you know, it used to be that you had to look an ultrasound, see all the cysts. Okay, now that's part of the diagnostic criteria. And then if you didn't have it, you don't have PCOS. But that's not part of it anymore. So what we see is it's more a metabolic condition, where it affects you know your whole metabolism. And so that is a big factor, the insulin resistance. And so women's you know their insulin levels are really elevated. Their body is you know putting on all this insulin, but it's not doing anything right. Yeah. So you know we try to address that a lot. And and so women with PCOS like especially them like need need a low carb, low sugar diet. That's super important to helping kind of restore function. And so when they are able to get their insulin levels lowered, a lot of those women will be able to start having regular cycles, ovulate, you know, and, and you know, if they have abnormal hair growth, high testosterone, those things can be yeah. fixed along with
1: it. So. Interesting. Okay, so, so diet, uh, insulin resistance, those can definitely affect fertility. What are some of the other main causes of infer- infertility?
0: Well, so like about 50% of the time it's multi, or it's like both men and women. So there's like both factors. I see this a lot with couples. Um, you know, they're like, oh, well, my husband has low sperm counts. So that's why we can't get pregnant. I'm like, well, did you ever have a full diagnostic workup? And she's like, well, he has low sperm counts. So that's why we're not getting pregnant. It's like, well, you probably have something going on too. Mm. Because if a woman, if if a, everything was working perfectly in a woman and a, low, and a man had low sperm counts, pregnancy is still pretty likely. Yeah, because- that cervical like, fluid is kind of right, magic, right? It is magic, so it's like okay, you know, I, I, you know, I don't really believe in that. It only takes one. I mean, only one fertilizes. Like, <laughs> but it really does require like a few more than one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it doesn't take a ton. So if everything, you know, so let's see. I, I had, I have a couple right now. That she's like, well, she was trying to see if it would. She called me and she was trying to see if it was worthwhile. And she's like, well, my husband has low sperm counts; he's being treated for that. Um, so I'm just trying to see if it's worthwhile. After talking with her, she's like, well, she they started, you know, trying to get pregnant a few months later. She had a miscarriage, and then um, they have been trying for like a year since and hadn't been able to get pregnant. So I'm like, well, the chance, the problem, you know, you had a miscarriage, so that makes me even more suspicious that there's something else going on with you.
1: If, yeah. You know,
0: obviously, the sperm counts weren't too low because you were able to conceive. Yeah. So the sperm counts were adequate for a conception to take place. So there's something else going on. So we see that a lot is that there's, you know, multifactorial. So we always see both the man and the woman. And then, you know, so we're checking sperm counts and then we include them in the, you know, diet, exercise, you know, all that sort of lifestyle changes and, and encouraging them for that. And, you know, you can, there's, you know, there's also like, okay, the quantity of sperm's okay, but can you improve the quality with improving your lifestyle? So there's that element too. Okay,
1: I've got a random question. Um, I've heard that if you have like a certain acidity in your vagina or whatever, that you'll only have girls or only have boys. <laughs> so, first of all, is that true? And second of all, could that be a fertility problem? Like, if your pH is off?
0: Yeah. So, I don't think it's true as far as male female. <laughs> as in my boy, yeah. my my sister has six boys. We're wondering what's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, there is there is definitely something. Or like, well, is is it more like is there something with the Y sperm? that's more of the question but um i was just reading about this in an article too so with the with the pH of the vagina the vagina is very acidic but like within like seconds after intercourse the pH of the vagina become like changes like rapidly really yeah i was like i, didn't, I never heard about this before like in any of my like women's health books i was like oh that's really interesting so it changes to become like more basics, not as acidic so that it doesn't immediately kill all the sperm. And then the cervical mucus. I was going to say, that's probably what the magic is, right? Yeah, yeah. The
1: the pH of the cervical fluid.
0: Yeah, so it's like just, like, once their sperm are able to get to the cervical mucus, then they can survive in that good cervical mucus, so. Okay, so the whole thing about
1: whether if you're, if you're acidic, you only have girls, if you're yeah, basic, you don't have boys. I don't,
0: I don't think there's any science to that, but. <laughs> I always wondered about that. <laughs> I could be wrong. I just maybe haven't read
1: the right research articles. So when women come and see you, how long, like, what time frame do you think the, how long does it typically take to do this naturally versus IVF can be like the next month,
0: right? Or how long? Does- um, I'm not actually sure, like how quickly it is with them, because I mean, you have to. A lot of times, they don't go straight to IVF unless there's like, you know, zero sperm or do they some see other you indication. First? Well, so usually, usually it's like well, a lot. Of, a lot of people don't know that we exist, for one. So, so you exist. We're well, announcing we that. <laughs> um. So, but no, a lot of times when you go to like a reproductive endocrinology the office or something like that. They'll usually start with like, um, like IUI, like the intrauterine insemination. That's usually where it started or, you know, maybe just ovulation induction medications. There's kind of like this, like buildup. It's like, are you a good candidate for IVF or not? So I would say, I mean, I don't really know what the normal time frame, and it probably depends on if you can afford IVF or, you know, what sort of indications. So I'm not really sure exactly what time frame is. People think it's like, oh, I'm gonna go get IVF. It's super quick, but even with IVF, you have your cycle where you have to retrieve have all your watch eggs, the cycle, and, yeah. and then you have the one where you implant it. So it's like minimum of two. Yeah. <laughs> um, but usually it's like longer than that. Anyways, um, with us, usually it takes about one to two months, six to eight weeks ish is what we kind of expect to like diagnose everything. Because mm-hmm. you got to like, watch a full cycle, right? right? So yeah, and they so we have to get them charting their cycles, um, like charting their cervical mucus so that we know you know where they're at in their cycle and you know making sure that. you know, we can identify that the ovulation window. So we, you know, have them start doing that and then they, you know, come back and they're like, okay, I I have my chart now. So then we plan a cycle where we, you know, do a diagnostic ultrasound series. So we'll do three or four ultrasounds to like actually watch ovulation and we'll also check like, you know, estrogen Can you watch levels. it live? Can you watch a <laughs> no. little? I wish, I wish. Is it like no. the cartoons? <laughs> <laughs> no, we like, you know, watch that follicle grow. And then once we feel like it's gone to the largest diameter, we're like, okay, it's, this is probably the biggest that it's going to be. And you have good cervical mucus right now. So this is, you know, lining up, things look good. And um, we'll get an estrogen level at that time too, because it should be, you know, above a certain number yeah. is what we normally expect. And then we check, you know, three or four days later to make sure that you've actually ovulated. And then after ovulation, then we're checking um, we get three or four hormone levels for progesterone and estradiol because we want to get those hormone curves because you do have estrogen after ovulation. Progesterone is the dominant hormone, but you have estrogen as well. Mm-hmm. And so we get the full curve. A lot of times, like, you know, if if a woman has ever done any sort of infertility evaluation at their OBGYN office, they're like, oh, we're going to get the day 21 progesterone and see if you ovulated. Um, that's roughly trying to get seven days after ovulation, but that's only if a woman has like super regular cycles, she ovulates on day 14, which that's a whole nother story is not always <laughs> a thing. I was going to say, I don't know how I would tell when I ovulate. Well, yeah. So that's why I like, well, day 21, we'll just go there. Cause that's like the average. So because we know, you know, with the cervical mucus, when things are happening, then we can check, we know, you know, okay, when well, we know seven days after your cervical mucus ovulation day. So we kind of have a marker where we know. Um, but we check actually in the, in the diagnostic cycle, we do like three, six and nine days. So we get that like curve because mm-hmm. sometimes, so sometimes there's, there's a couple different like things that we see one, both hormones are just low mm. or one or the other can be low or they get like for me, so we haven't gotten into that, but this is how I got into all this because my husband and I struggled with infertility for two years. And my issue is that my progesterone level got high enough. So if I had done a day 21 progesterone, if that happened to be right in my cycle, that level would have been fine. But then it just drops off super rapidly. So it's oh, then still, you would slough off anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's still not supporting that lining of the uterus properly. Um, so that's something we see as like a late luteal phase effect is what that's called. And so, you know, that's we can address and support that as well. Or, so how do you support that? So just, we can give, a, we can give um, just progesterone. If you can just give it as a drug. You so can just yeah, give it so as a medication. The, there's like the human identical progesterone. Uh-huh. So it's not the artificial one. So you can give it in like oral, a vaginal suppository, or like in an injection. So you can do, you know, depends, depends on what the levels are and what the woman's story is. Kind of gives us like, leads us in one route or the other. Mm-hmm. Or just preference. So if just progesterone is low, you can do that. If progesterone and estradiol are low, so estradiol is just the other name for estrogen, sorry, um, then we can also give something called, well, we can give HCG, which is the pregnancy hormone, right? Mm-hmm. And what that does, so we, don't, we haven't talked about the corpus luteum at all, so I'll just explain the corpus luteum really quick. So after that follicle releases the egg in ovulation, that follicle kind of shrivels up, and then it becomes active, and it calls it, it's called the corpus luteum, and it starts producing progesterone and estradiol. So then it sticks around, that follicle sticks around the whole rest of the cycle, but just as the corpus luteum. So it it changes name because it changes functions. Mm. So then that's the only time in a cycle that a woman produces progesterone is when you have this corpus luteum. Well, so if you give HCG, it tells the corpus luteum to make progesterone and estradiol. Instead of giving progesterone and estradiol, we're just telling the body to make it instead. Oh, that's cool. So sometimes that can be so, helpful. So you said, though,
1: you could have um, a regular cycle without ovulation, which means ha- your progesterone level wouldn't rise at all because there's no right. corpus luteum.
0: Right, or, right, so, uh, yeah, there's, you could not ovulate at all, but there's there's something that can happen where it's, like, it gets luteinized with the LH hormone, so then, like, the follicle, but it does, just doesn't release the egg. But then this, like, it's called a luteinized unruptured follicle, so it's, by that hormone it gets larger which is weird because it's kind of shriveled up but it gets larger so it does actually it does actually produce those hormones progesterone and estradiol but it never released the egg wow which is really confusing again how are we all here (laughs) i know wow yeah which i had never i had like read about and then i just like two of our patients recently like had this i was like wow this is crazy so i was kind of surprised by it yeah so so that's kind of like the unique one. But yes, it's true. If you're not ovulating, if you have an immature follicle, or if, like, you know, you're, like I said, we want to get up to like 20. So maybe it only gets up to like 12 or 13. Like maybe we want your progesterone levels after ovulation, like that seven days after ovulation, we want it to be somewhere above 15.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I talked with one doctor and he was like, he was talking to a patient. He was like, "Oh, well if it's above five, it's fine, you' ovulated. Like we would feel like five is abysmal. Like that's mm. a terrible ovulation. <laughs> so we have definitely different parameters for what we would expect for a healthy ovulation. Yeah. so we would expect it to be, you know, like twelve would be like my threshold for like, okay, this is okay. But I would really like to see it like fifteen, twenty, something like that. So yeah, um so if a, if it's an immature follicle that's being, you know releasing that egg, then we would you do see progesterone it's just not as high.
1: Interesting, okay. So you're telling the body, you're augmenting with the body. You're you're hinting to the body what it should do normally (laughs) instead of just. so yeah, so yeah.
0: Well, we we call it like it's like cooperative treatment. Ah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So um, we we work. At the same time that the body's doing things, trying to do things, and we just, yeah, we come in alongside it and say, hey, we're just going to help you out. So when we do give progesterone, we only make sure we give it after ovulation. We only give it for 10 days. We don't want to, if you give it longer than that, you can artificially delay your period coming. Yeah. So we don't really want to do that. If you give it too early, before ovulation's happened, you can prevent ovulation. So that's why we need to have a way of monitoring. So we use cervical mucus because it's really helpful and easy to monitor. Isn't that what basically birth control is, is High levels of progesterone? Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's, it has progestins, which is the fake progesterone, and then it has some estradiol, estrogen components in it as well. So it works in several different ways, but as part of it, yeah. Mm. So you ha- you take progesterone or a type of progesterone every single day, which prevents ovulation from happening. So that's like the main purpose that birth control tries to prevent ovulation is by prevent- tries to prevent pregnancy by preventing Bi-pre- ovulation. ovulation. Yeah, yeah. So does that
1: save your eggs? Does that make you m- mean that your menopause is put off or no?
0: I uh, it can. Although a lot of women still ovulate on birth control. Oh, okay. So there's other ways that it tries, like are we talking about cervical mucus thickening the cervical mucus? That's another way it tries to prevent it. So but it can, yeah.
1: Hmm. So um are there positions that you that are more helpful or over others or it's certain things For you can do? To, yeah.
0: <laughs> certain things you can do to like up your likelihood of Um let's see. Well, I mean, I know in my own fertility journeys, I researched all about that, like, oh, you should put your legs up after intercourse Yes, because say, do you, t- do you tell your clients um, anything no, particular? I've never, no, I've never told my patients any advice for positions or anything like that. No, I mean, if you're having, you know, proper intercourse, <laughs> which I hope I don't have to define for everybody. Um, I kind of want to know what the difference between proper and improper. Well, I mean, it is, I mean, it is amazing when you like, see people and you're like, okay, well um, you get their charts back from them and you're like, you know, you're reviewing their charts and we have them put a little eye on their chart for when they have intercourse. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, you didn't have intercourse on any of the days that you had mucus. So... Oh, proper intercourse is just like no, having them no, on I, the right no, days? No, I was, I was meaning though, but oh. I mean, if you're having like penis and the vagina intercourse, it doesn't really matter what position. Okay. Like the sperm are going to move, the sperm are going to be able to find that cervical mucus and go where they need to go. So it doesn't really matter. And a lot, and I know a lot of... Women like I just had someone telling me the other day, like, Well, I'm really concerned because after I have intercourse I stand up and you yeah, know, like everything comes out. And it's like, Well, this that you you have a you know, a large amount of seminal fluid, which is what the semen, the sperm are in, but the sperm can go where they need to go and then this the seminal fluid will come out. So we don't expect all of it to be absorbed and all of it to go into the uterus. So there's no there's nothing harmful about lying with your legs up for thirty minutes, but It's not necessary. Okay, we put that myth to rest. (laughs) Perfect.
1: Are there any other mistakes that you see couples make?
0: Other than not having intercourse. Yeah, women's. not having intercourse. Um, well, I would say like I've, I'm always surprised the the variety of couples that I see. You have the couple that comes in like, okay, well, we we tried for like one month and I just feel like things aren't right and I just want to get everything checked and everything like that. I'm like, I'm, I'm fine with that. Whatever. If you want to pay mm-hmm. for that, that's totally fine. You know, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And you know, these other couples that are like, well, we've been trying for like six years. I'm like, oh, okay, like do you track your cycles with an app. Nope. Have you ever done LH test strips? Nope. Have you ever checked basal body temperature? Nope. Like never done anything. And I'm like, well, I didn't know what basal body temperature
1: was until recently. So well,
0: and then and that's like not really that helpful when you're trying to conceive because when the progesterone rises, that causes the um, temperature to rise, which happens after ovulation. So for trying to conceive purposes, it lets you know you've ovulated, but it doesn't give you any advanced warning. But some couples like that to kind of know. Well, but like, it kind of oh. gets your cycle. I was tracking it because I was trying to figure out why the heck I felt like a crazy
1: person two weeks before or two days before my period. I was mm. wondering like, so I started I started tracking the basal temperature, but I did not I couldn't tell any difference. No, you mm-hmm. you just like doing with like an
0: oral thermometer. Mm-hmm. That one's like kind of hard, but <laughs> yeah, I was like it's supposed to be so I don't know. It, it's it, yeah, that's hard. I know there's like there's like um I just had a patient come in that she has like a ring which like checks your temperature. Oh, interesting. interesting and there's like bracelets. There's like things you wear on your like um, bicep when you sleep. Those are like a lot better because they give kind of like your nighttime resting mm-hmm. and you don't really have to do the like tedious. But it you can also, like I know Anakin. a lot of women use it for birth control
1: because yes. they can watch their cycles if yes. they know exactly when they ovulate every month and they can just avoid those days.
0: Right, right. And then, then they have that confidence. Like I know I've ovulated for sure. I know my fertile windows passed. Like, I don't so worry about ovulation,
1: pregnancy. like 24 hours after ovulation, basically your fertility window is passed.
0: Yeah. Because yeah. the egg is no yep. good. Yep. Yep. Because that egg, yeah, only lives for about twenty four hours. But before
1: exactly. then, you can have up to five days. Five
0: or six. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. That surprised me that you can basically. So if you if you ovulate early, you can basically get pregnant like within a few days of your last period.
0: Or like during while you're still bleeding. I've really? Heard, yeah, I've heard that several times. The couples like, I don't even know how I got pregnant because I was still on my period. We, that I know that's the only time we had intercourse was when I was still bleeding. So if you have if you have sex while you're on your period, it's not a guarantee. It's not. It's yeah. not. Nope. So the safest time is actually right before your period. Yep. 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 After. Yep. After that ovulation window. Yep. That week before your yep, period. Yep. Interesting.
1: Unless you're a late ovulator. No, because your body will still. You can ovulate anytime. In your is that a problem though? <laughs> if, if you ovulate late and then your body sloughs
0: off because it doesn't know you're pregnant yet? So what can happen is that you can have a really short post-ovulatory phase. And we actually do see this like pretty often in our infertility women is that, mm-hmm. so that corpus luteum is not producing the, progesterones that it, the progesterone and estradiol that it should be. And so it's never really building up a proper lining. So a normal post-ovulatory phase like average is 14. So that would be like national, worldwide average, but Mm -hmm. um, a range of, like, 9 to 17 is normal, so. Yeah, 9 days
1: seems really short, though. 9 days does. If it takes, like, up to 10 days to implant, right?
0: uh, I think, like, yeah. I think I've heard, like, 6 to 9, like, is kind of possible, so, but, I mean.
1: Yeah, if you implant on day 9 and then that's how long your phase is, then does your body just start a period and everybody – no, no cuz your corpus luteum cause is working. Cuz your corpus
0: luteum is working. So if your corpus luteum is working then then and if your progesterone, if your curves are normal then things oh my are- gosh. <laughs> So, but I mean a woman could have oh. as long as a 17-day post ovulatory phase and that's normal too. Huh. So there's this really wide range, but you know, we see women with post ovulatory phase like 7-8 days and that's definitely short. That's too short. Yeah. So and that is, you know. So if
1: you're tracking, if you're tracking things with the basal temperature, then you can kind of get a picture of what's yeah, happening. Yeah,
0: yep, yep. Actually, we just had a patient come in um to see us because this, she was so she had just started trying but she was tracking with her basal body temperature she's like after my rise i only have like five days I'm like yeah that's definitely Ooh, short. that's not good yeah so we checked and you know she did she wasn't her hormones were definitely low I'm trying to remember what all was but yeah her hormones were definitely low
1: so you can um you can augment and help and guide your body back into track oh yeah for sure very cool yeah yeah so cooperative that's what we use cooperating yeah you cooperate your body with your yeah, body yeah. right um, so we talked about this a little bit before, but what, um, what about the people that tell you that you should be on birth control to help with cancer, to prevent cancer?
0: Yeah. So those women with PCOS. Yeah. Yeah. So the biggest problem with PCOS is that women will just not have a period. they will just go months and months and months and months without maybe even years. I definitely, we've had patients who are like, yeah, I haven't had a period in like two years, three years, something like that. And that doesn't bother them. Um, I think like thing like they're kind of worried about like, but also like you're not having a period. So most people don't really like periods. So I don't know. Well, I when I was
1: first starting, man, my periods weren't regular until I was 24. Like I would yeah. go up to nine months without a period as a kid.
0: Yeah. and then Like when you first start having periods, like in the first couple years, that can be normal, but it should regulate after like Oh yeah, your I teenage didn't. years but then like but normal. then
1: from childbearing uh, years it was like 28 was like days on the dot like, yeah, it was just yeah. it took until 24 mm, to kind of coasting figure
0: itself out i guess i don't know yeah i'm sure it was hormonally wonk too it but, could be yeah it could yeah. be so women with pcos though they go a super long time without having period um so what happens is they have all this estrogen so it's like they never ovulate so they're never producing that progesterone and not having them and when mm. your progesterone levels drop then that what signals the lining of the uterus to shed so that never happens. So they just have all this estrogen and the estrogen is just building up this lining, building up this lining, building, oh. building, building. So because they have such a thick lining that predisposes them for that lining to change into something that's cancerous. So, oh. so, so then, they're saying if you have birth control and you can slough it off, then that helps That you. reduces your risk. Of, Do you agree with that? I, you, need, you definitely need to have a period. You need to have some sort of bleeding on a regular basis, so that you don't increase your risk for uterine cancer, absolutely. But you could do it other you ways. You don't have to use you don't have to use birth control. birth control. Right, right.
1: Hey, um, so we haven't talked at all about endometriosis. What no. the heck is that?
0: <laughs> um, Can
1: of worms opening up as right, we have right, like right. three minutes left. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah so endometriosis occurs in about twelve percent of women worldwide. It's actually a pretty large percentage and a lot of women are undiagnosed with it. Um, really? That many? Yeah. So Ooh. a lot of women, I was definitely one of them. I had endometriosis and I just had super painful periods all the time. I told all my OBGYNs like, oh, you just need to go on birth control. What <laughs> is
1: endometriosis?
0: So it's where that uterine lining. But what causes it? I've heard it's actually oh, a fungus. I, that's no, what I heard from Not 70. fungus. No, it's not a fungus. So it's where that uterine lining that is on the inside of your uterus grows other places, so it can grow on your uterus, on your bladder, on your That's ovaries, not supposed on, to happen. Your, <laughs> on your bowels. I had some on my appendix. They removed my <gasps> appendix. So it can oh grow like my gosh. It can grow up on your diaphragm, your lungs. What, what causes anywhere. it to just go crazy? So the cause is like debated. So they used to think like, oh, so a woman when they have, when she has her period, the bleeding, the menstruation should go out of out through the the cervix and vagina, right? Right. Well, sometimes it goes like, it's called retrograde where it goes up through the fallopian tubes. So like, oh, so this, this endometrial tissue is going into the pelvis and so then it grows. So, but why would it only grow in 12% of women and not the other 78? So then uh-huh. they're like, oh, well, it's that combined with maybe like an immune factor. So that's kind of one theory out there. So it's like retrograde menstruation combined with, you know, some autoimmune sort of thing. Retrograde, that's, retrograde. A, that's such a word. Yeah. Wow. Backwards men- menstruation. Yeah. So actually, the the one they've done been doing some new research now, where they've actually found they've like looked at, um, you know, babies that have been miscarried or aborted or something like that in in early gestation, and what they've actually been found find is that the new theory is that there's actually um a malformation of the reproductive tract during like when uh that reproductive tract is being made because they're actually finding the endometrial tissue in, you know, where it shouldn't be at 18 weeks of gestation. Really? Yeah. So then the new theory is like, well. So you're born with it. Yeah. Any amount of endometriosis you have, you're born with. It can get worse because just like your, your uterine lining grows and sheds each month, it does that elsewhere in your mm-hmm. body as well, which is why it's so painful because it's bleeding and sloughing off and on your inside, b- inside your body. You, but it doesn't have anywhere to get out and it can cause inflammation. It can cause scar tissue, oh, adhesions. that's so. what it is? Yeah. It's actually, you're having a period inside your abdomen. Yeah, basically. Mm. Yeah. No wonder
1: that hurts. Yeah. So um, it can cause a lot of, wreak a lot of I headache. am learning so much. <laughs> and my that could mind be like a her whole nother
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. Endometriosis. I mean, I've just heard so many women suffer with yeah. it. And there's just, I'm like, come on, it can't be the 2020 and we don't have answers. It is to actually, it's
0: really, it, it is. is still like, there's still a lot of theories going out there. And it's, if you read any textbook, you're still going to get the retrograde menstruation theory. Hmm. but it's, you know, the, so I, did, I had a surgeon in Massachusetts who did my surgery and he was, you know, he kind of in his own mind was like, this doesn't make sense to me. He had this girl come in who hadn't even had her first period yet. So, and she, oh yes yeah, so even meant, menstruation, meant, right? yeah. And he's had all the symptoms like cyclical pain. he's like, this is so weird. You haven't even had a period yet, but you're having this pain that is so characteristic of endometriosis. He's like, I'm going to do surgery. And all of his, you know, people that he worked with is like, you're crazy. And he did surgery and he found endometriosis. So he's Uh, like, in his mind, he's like, okay, well, it can't be retrograde menstruation then because you've never had retrograde menstruation. Then why would it start so early? Oh my goodness. Because your body's still like, it starts to like get things going before you actually have your first period. So you still are having those hormones, that tissue growing, things like that. So interesting. Yeah.
1: Wow. Okay. So really quick, I just wanted to ask you about hormones and postpartum depression. Mm, Yeah. If you feel like.
0: Yeah. So, well, first of
1: all, can you get postpartum depression after a miscarriage? Mm, Good question. Uh, Probably. (laughs) Because it's hormone, it's the same type of hormonal. So,
0: I mean, so typically, typically in like a full term pregnancy, a woman's progesterone levels are getting up into like 100, pretty high. Like, they can, I mean, there's a very wide range. Oh, because your progesterone stays high your entire pregnancy. It just keeps rising. Just keeps going up, 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 up. And is it the crash? And then you deliver that placenta, and then the progesterone just goes down to like zero, nothing. Some women are fine with that. They don't get postpartum depression. They're okay. Some women do not respond well to that. Some of them oh. are kind of like if they had depression before, they're more maybe more likely to. Some women, it, you know, it doesn't matter what they had before. They just get depression afterwards. So we treat that with just giving progesterone, supplementing, in like the kind of intermedium Tell their body is like okay, I'm okay now.
1: <laughs> kind of I'm weaning okay. off a yeah. drug because exactly. I mean, if you that's go exactly crash, what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're weaning. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So we can give just
0: like a little bit of progesterone for a little while, and then kind of keep things. Um, and it helps. So pro- it helps really progesterone well. addict. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah, I haven't specifically heard it was a miscarriage, but um, I mean, I wouldn't typically with a miscarriage, your hormones never really kind of they never get really go high. anywhere that they should should be I
1: know after I had I had a blighted ovum so
0: really early they
1: caught it 12 weeks and I Mm. was a mess and I was like Mm. this is so stupid because in my head
0: I was okay but my body just wouldn't stop crying and I was like this
1: is this is
0: really inconvenient I have things to do yeah well I mean that's so hard anyways because you have a loss of of you know a potential baby that you had dreams about and hopes about so there's the whole grieving process that goes along with that too so
1: and tell me well just a blighted ovum. I didn't even know what
0: that was until like 10 years after it happened. Yeah, actually I was, I was just like looking up stuff about blighted ovums today um cuz I was like, you know, what? I'm not really sure. Most if people I like don't really even understand Yeah, this. most people don't even know what they are. Yeah, so it is um is a M- it's like you see a gestational sac, but no embryo. So it's a little bit unsure, like, okay, when did this embryo stop developing? But whatever it is, we don't see it now. So whenever it may have started, you know, you obviously had some sort of embryo because, you know, you had conception, you had positive HCG, you know, pregnancy test, but it stopped developing. So you still kind of are left with that gestational sac, but that embryo
1: just stopped developing. So the pregnancy didn't, your body didn't get the memo that the embryo had died and it just kept making that sac. And basically have a, rogue placenta.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I guess so. Yeah. Just like the body hasn't quite recognized yet and eventually does. And most women are, are able to pass the yeah. rest of the rest of the products of conception without, you know, doing any sort of management. But, um, my text I was looking up in my textbook and I was saying that, um, it can be due to chromosomal defects that result from poor quality sperm or egg. Mm. Um, so again, that could be somewhere like just a poor ovulation, or it could be the sperm, you know, sperm things, but, um, you know, and I'm not saying that we can prevent all miscarriages and when we do, because that's not possible, but. No,
1: cause once a miscarriage has started, you really can't stop it. Right.
0: No, but I mean, I'm not saying like, I mean, I'm not saying, okay, if you come and see me and you do my, you know, treatment and you, you know, we have a good ovulation, I'm not saying miscarriage is not going to happen. Um, but we're hoping that it's less likely. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. So when women are looking for, um, somebody like
1: you, uh, for therapy treatment, what
0: are they looking for? Um, so typically, it's typically the biggest population of people that we see are our patients that, you know, infertility wise, don't want to do IVF, don't want to do IUIs. Well, I mean,
1: what, but, when they want, they don't want to do IVF, IVF, how, what do they, what questions do they ask to make sure they're talking to your, 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 oh, your well, double?
0: <laughs> if, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, there's not a ton of us. So if you want to find someone that specializes in what I specialize in, um, NAPRO technology, there is NAPRO, map. Technology. yeah, NAPRO, N A P R O technology. There is a map online that lists like where the NAPRO physicians are located. So and we're located all over the world. So it's not just in the U.S. We're in a bunch in Mexico, Poland, Ireland, um, Japan. There's lots. So they might all have a little bit their own twist on things, but more or less, this is yeah. the, this is what you would expect. Cool. Yeah.
1: So if they want to find you specifically, if they're local, where do they find?
0: Yeah. You? So we're um, at the University of Utah. We're down in South Jordan in uh, in Daybreak down there. So that you can look up uh, natural infertility, University of Utah, and it's myself, Ashley Jensen, and then Dr. Joseph Stanford. And we're the ones here locally that do it. And we're actually the only providers in Utah, Wyoming, Idaho, Nevada, like around here that do it. And wow. we do do telemedicine for all those states as well. So you oh, can cool. still, still come and see us even consults. if you live in another state. Yeah. Wow, and do you
1: just go locally for your your blood work yep. or anything? Yep. The, that is so cool. Yeah. Awesome, thank you so yeah, much. I learned so much. My brain is kind of dripping. I know. I know. <laughs> well, it's
0: like we could like have spent like an hour on like each of these topics. Like,
1: I wish I could have <laughs> just slowed you down. Like, you're the type of person that I would just like put on point seven five speed <laughs> because
0: I like to learn all the
1: things of all the things. Yeah. And, yeah well, so. it'll be recorded, so you can yeah I'll listen go to back. it again. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Sarah, for having me. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience. And thank you to LaunchPod Media, who produces these podcasts.